Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Seth, how are you today? I'm good. Yeah, I'm fine. That's good. I am just fine, right in the middle of the road. Fine, right? Uh, yeah, I haven't <laughs> showered yet today, so this is, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> if yeah. if you caught me post shower, I'd be like, post shower, I'm, like, I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, but, it's because uh, you're working from home this morning. Yes. and I came into the office. Uh, yeah, all dolled up for the day. I'm all dolled up for the day. <laughs> yeah. I got my spoken gospel shirt on. Oh wow! Are we sell. We should give those away at some point. Like we we a, have a we we have them. We've taken them to some events and we've given them to, to some friends. But oh. we don't we don't we don't have an online store yet. Oh well, one day, one, one day, day, podcast listeners. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so anyway, this is the <laughs> strangest introduction to the book of Ruth, the which is what we're talking Ruth. about today. Yeah, I'm this really small. Yeah, this small little book. Um, that tells a short story. About 85 verses. 80, 85 verses. It's that like is the, a, le- the length of some chapters in the book of Luke. <laughs> yeah, that's like crazy. 77. Man, that's really interesting. And it tells a story of this foreign woman and her journey uh, yeah. to become a full-fledged Israelite, God-fearing woman. Um and uh, yeah, that's one way to yeah. look at the book. Yeah, that's one way to look at the book. I mean, the short—if you, you're not familiar with with the story of Ruth—the story is uh, Naomi is married to a man named Elimelech, and they have uh, two sons, and they take two daughters uh, from the land of Moab. Uh, so Moab was traditionally enemies of Israel, or like kind of second class citizens really they, they were never favored people they were yeah they were they were descended from lot yeah whose daughters had incestuous sex with him and then started a civilization so they were right. just always like never like the most <laughs> reputable yeah in the eyes of israel um so they're kind of just conceded as outsiders so anyway what ends up happening is elimelech naomi's husband dies naomi's two sons die and she's left with two daughters-in-law and she encourages the daughters-in-law to say, you will not find any heirs from me. I'm not gonna, I'm past childbearing age. You guys haven't had children in 10 years. Your likelihood of finding a husband even now in Moab is slim. It's even slimmer if you go with me back to Bethlehem, back to Israel. Mm-hmm. So don't come with me. Stay here and try to carve out the best life you can here in Moab. Right. And Orpah, so one half of the two. <laughs> Orpa, uh, the first daughter-in-law, decides I'm going I'm going to stay here and Yep. Good advice, try. Naomi. Good advice. I'm not going to make my life harder than it already is. I'm going to yep. stay here uh, and I'm sure potentially she had family members that she could take care of her. Or... That would have been the normal thing to do. Right. Yes, that would have totally been the normal thing to do. She that was had family like members. The, the quote-unquote right decision. Yeah, the smart decision. The wise thing to do her people like other moabites would have accepted her and not look yep. cast weird side glances at her but naomi or sorry ruth, ruth decides to stay with naomi and she said if you die i die this really profound moment of mm-hmm. faith um and she moves to israel uh to bethlehem the city of david uh, uh with naomi where she meets a man named Boaz. Mm-hmm. They, I'm not sure if they fall in love first, but Boaz is incredibly generous to Ruth uh, as she is working really, really hard to provide for her and Naomi. And Naomi or Ruth ends up proposing to Boaz. <laughs> <laughs> and Boaz, and in studying the proposal, it's not, will you marry me? It's, no. you will marry me and you will become my redeemer, kids the <laughs> redeemer. It's really funny. I'd, someone pointed that out to me. It's like, it's not a question. It's, it's, yep. it's a demand. It's like a statement. Yep. Uh, she says this. She said, spread your wings. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer, period. 
no question <laughs> marry me um and he says yes i yep. will um and there's like a plot twist where this second suitor might come in but there's some legal jujitsu that goes on and <laughs> and ruth marries boaz and naomi who was once childless and had no food suddenly has pantries full of food and a granddaughter or grandson and her who, whole house is saved and her whole house is saved. her land that, yeah her household her name the lineage of her dead husband yes. is all saved and it and not just her <laughs> own lineage is saved but yep. all of israel's lineage that's right obed naomi's grand uh son ruth's son ends up becoming the grandfather of king david yep and it's you're like whoa that's and that's in the last line of the book that you find, find <laughs> that's that the last out. line of the book <laughs> yep so yep. it's it's a really beautiful story from like tragedy and death to joy and birth from mm-hmm. famine uh and to emptiness plenty. to plenty and fullness mm-hmm. and how god is in the middle of all those things yeah that's good that was a good summary seth thank you you're welcome it was the rose colored version the rose colored version Let's it just... was it was the romantic comedy version <laughs> What's the dark, gritty details? It's not the, dark and gritty. The, uh, I think, the real life version is gonna. I think the non-Disney version. The non-Disney version <laughs> would probably have some. Would probably have less to do with the words suitors and fell in love, <laughs> and probably have more to do with um, like a a different kind of love that we'll talk about, which yes, is, doesn't necessarily have to connote romantic love but it's right. called hesed we'll get hesed to that love. later so um let's let's kind of position this book now that we have a summary for it yeah. let's position this book in the bible in the story of the bible and um just try to get our heads in it so um i, I don't know if, where we if we want to start like big and go in well, or let's start we wanna... where it ends up in your bible so if okay. you're reading through your bible reading plan you have just read the book of judges and the last three chapters of the book of judges are all about uh, kind of these horrific actions taken against women in a nation that does that has no king, mm-hmm. and they do whatever they want to do. I think that's yep. the through line for the book of Judges. All through, yeah, all throughout the book of Judges, it's and they did what was right in their own eyes, and so then God punished them. Yeah. But then God brought a judge, and that judge did some good things usually. But then they did what was right in their own eyes, and so God punished yeah, them. There and was so no it's king this, in Israel. They did what was right. In there's their own no eyes. king in Israel. Is like the point of Judges. Yes, is that there's no king in Israel. Therefore, the whole country is in disarray. There, yeah. it's a time of crime, of a lack of justice, mm-hmm. of a lack of law following, and there's no leader to uh, to help the people follow the law. Yeah. correctly or make people live in right relationship with God. And, and so last, it's in this situation. <laughs> right. It's in that situation. In the last three chapters of Judges particular, you have a woman who is raped to death mm. and then cut up into 12 different parts and then right. shipped to the 12 different tribes of Israel. And that begins a civil war where Benjamin is cut off from the rest. And then they go and body snatch a bunch of women to become their wives. Yeah. So you have like this just awful series of circumstances in general, but particularly directed towards women. And then in the opening of the book of Ruth, you get the name Elimelech. So we're, we're going to enter into the story about Elimelech. Um, and what's fascinating, the name of the man was Elimelech. And his name means God is king. Mm-hmm. And so you've just read a story where there's no king in Israel. And then you meet a man whose name is God is king. And then God is king dies. Yep. So you're like, whoa. Yep. Who? There's re- there's really no hope. There is no hope. Yeah. Naomi has no husband. Her two daughters have no husbands. They haven't had children in ten years. Will God save? Mm-hmm. Will God be a king to Israel? Will He return them? That's <laughs> that's the that's one way. To yeah. Read that's it. the question. Yeah, yeah. The opening line of Ruth is in the days when the judges ruled. I mean, yeah. that's so it position it, you, you are meant to be thinking about the chaos and um, leaderlessness of Israel when you read Ruth. And that's yeah. why it ends with, as you said, a genealogy pointing to David, yeah. because this is all about how God procured for himself a leader for Israel. Yes. So, yeah, that's that's its Protestant evangelist uh, evangelical Bible context. It comes after like in its historical context. Right. It comes after. Judges yeah. and during Judges historically, um, but then yeah. if we look at um, at where it fall at where it originally fell in the Hebrew ordering of Scripture, 
we get yes. something completely different. It's very it's interesting. It's so fascinating. In the Tanakh, yeah. which is the traditional ordering of the Hebrew Bible, and um, probably the original ordering, of... and probably the original. There's there's yeah. one of two options we have here, and they're both very interesting. Um, but it, uh, but Ruth comes after the Book of Proverbs, which, if you remember, your Book of Proverbs and the famous Proverbs 31 woman that ends the book. You imagine reading in in order, and you read right. Proverbs. You read about the Proverbs thirty one woman, how she's industrious and uh, she's a go getter. She's called a worthy woman. She's a like... worthy woman, just like Ruth is called. Um, and then you turn the page, quote unquote. You yeah. you pick up the next scroll, and you read about this worthy woman named Ruth. And like, it's just it's so it's, cool. It is really cool. And if you read it, there's so many parallels between. Proverbs 31 mm-hmm. and the book of Ruth. The first one is actually direct. The first nine verses are actually directed towards the king. But think about verse eight and nine. This king speaks up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. He speaks up and judges fairly, and he defends the right of the poor and needy. Mm. Na- uh, Naomi and Ruth are poor and needy. They are destitute, and traditionally they can't speak for themselves. Right. And Boaz in this in this story defends the poor and the needy, provides for them extravagantly and then literally goes to a courtroom and speaks on their behalf (laughs) like a wife of noble character so this is the the wife then uh she says she um she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands this is what ruth does in the fields she gets up while it's still night and she provides food for her families does the same (laughs) thing she got up in the middle of the night and proposed to boaz yes she considers a field and buys it and out of her earnings she plants a vineyard naomi initiates the Mm -hmm. sale of her own property at the end of the book she, uh, she, her hand does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds a distaff and grasps a spindle with her fingers. She's just like working hard. She opens yep. her arms to the poor. When it snows, she goes out. <laughs> like every, yeah. her husband is respected at the city gate when he takes a seat among the elders of the which land, which Boaz was at which, the city gate. Yeah, yes, whenever all the law the, proceedings went down. The ending of the story. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. This is all. And then you turn the page, and that woman is on. In your Bible. Yeah. Ruth is right there. So it's fun. Cool. I really it's love it. super cool. And it frames an interesting way to read Ruth as um, not, it's not wisdom literature, right? But it, if you read it with wisdom literature and Proverbs ringing in your head, it does make sense because uh, wisdom is applying God's uh, knowledge and will mm. and commandments into life at the right time. Yeah. And that's what she does, and that's what Boaz does, and that's what Naomi does. And, like, there's wisdom throughout, and we, we, we're able to see how people, when they obey the law of God with love for their neighbor, good things happen. Yes. And it's like, oh, the book of Proverbs rings true. Because Proverbs all throughout says, if you do this, mm-hmm. like, if you obey right, right, God's right. commands, yeah. then it will go well for you. And, you know, uh, you know, Naomi's dead husband did not obey God's law. He left the land and didn't trust God and married a Moabite, you know, woman, all this kind of stuff. But then the Naomi and Ruth come in and they start obeying and Boaz starts obeying and things start going really well. And it's yeah. like, oh, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is proving works. true. Yeah. yeah, Proverbs works. Wisdom yeah. works. Um, so that's just very an interesting way to to read it yeah. for sure. And I think too, you have um, Ruth as not just a wise and noble woman, but as a law follower um, mm-hmm. in yep. a, in a marriage with another law follower, Boaz. Yep. And one of the fascinating things about Ruth is that even though she's a Moabite, she essentially converts to yes. and becomes a Yahweh fear. So this is in yes. chapter one. Verse 16, uh, she says, where you go, Naomi, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. This is incredible moment of said steadfast loyalty to Naomi, which should hyperlink you back to Deuteronomy, where God gives a law to his people on Mount mm-hmm. Sinai. And he says, you shall be my people, and I shall be your God. And then the people respond by saying, we will do this, and if we don't, we will die. Mm-hmm. So like all that law language is right there. So not only is it after Proverbs 31, and is she this wise woman, she's also obeying the law in a wise way. So 
the reason I bring that yeah. <laughs> up at all is that traditionally in uh, this book was read during the Feast of Pentecost. Oh, right, right. So, which was celebrating the giving, not only the harvest, which is very appropriate for Ruth, but also the giving of the law. Yeah, so the giving of the law, they celebrate that fact the law comes to the people of Israel, and they read the book of Ruth because you have mm-hmm. a woman who shouldn't find the law beautiful or good, mm-hmm. who's not a native to the land of Israel, sees the law as good, and then upholds it herself, and then acts like it's true. Right. So fun. Like, such a fun... I think that's fun. <laughs> anyway. No, it is fun. It, it is. Um, it, it's really awesome. Uh, it provides a really different way to think about the the law, especially in if you're just following kind of the linear historical narrative of the Old Testament. You don't see a lot of people just like loving the law and doing it well. You see a lot of people breaking it. Yeah, you know, like yes. Judges and Joshua and even Numbers. You see people breaking the law that was just given, but in Ruth, you see what happens when someone loves and upholds the law, and it's like beautiful. And like the good news is that she was brought into the covenant people of God and given the blessings. Like the law says, if you obey it, then you'll live in the land. Uh, you'll have plenty of crops. I, you know, you'll mm-hmm. have children that won't die and all this kind of stuff, you yeah. know, and that's what happens to Ruth when she becomes an Israelite. She yeah. receives the blessings of living in the promised land with God. Yeah. It's just cool. Like God was true to his word. So not only does Proverbs work, the law works. Like yes. God works. Yes. God's promises are true. And there's which is even just cool. links between Ruth and the book of Psalms, which is the book after Proverbs mm-hmm. in the traditional ordering. Proverbs, right. Ruth, Psalms. Psalms. And so there's there's this phrase like cover me with your wings, which mm-hmm. is used multiple times. Multiple book, times. Book of Ruth. And like there's all this like psalmonic language that's picked up later. So it kind of prepares you for some of that language as you move into the Psalms and the traditional ordering. Yes, which I think, um, considering the order of how some of these things had to have been written, um, I, I would say that the author of Ruth is probably pulling on Psalmonic language that was used to describe the protection of God to to describe Boaz yeah. in the Spread That's Your right. Wings. And I so I think, it, I say that to say that I think this book um, is meant to set up categories for us for how we should be thinking about how God, you know, protects us, treats us, and ultimately how this is fulfilled in Jesus, right. which we'll get to later. But well, there's like a, a literary proof. There's a literary yes. proof of like even the original authors wanted us to think about this as a parable about God's love for us. Yes, and that's crucial. This book, you, we can talk about, you know, all the different contexts, Judges, Proverbs, uh, the Feast of Weeks and Pentecost, but the book is about God's action in mm-hmm. these people's lives. Like, it's like, we, we say it often, the Bible isn't about us, it's about Jesus. Like, That's right. And often, like, often like it's not even about the main characters that you're reading about. It's about what God is doing through those main characters, mm-hmm. and that, that remains true here. Well, yeah, let, well, let's, let's take a quick break, and then let's talk about God, God's action in this book and some of the interesting things that we see there. Okay, so uh, we mentioned that this book is about God's actions with his people um, in order to save them and in order to yeah. provide for them. Uh, I think a really crucial word here that we'll talk about later is to redeem them. Yes. Um, and so it, it's really interesting, and maybe you, you can throw in some extra ones, but like there are just all of these ways that we see God sovereignly working yeah. uh, kind of in the minutiae and in the fine details, even behind the scenes of this story. And what right? we should name before we even talk about how mm-hmm. God works is the fact that God's rarely mentioned. mentioned. Right. So like the characters will talk and make reference to God, but there's like no dreams, there's no miracles, there's no visions. God nope. doesn't speak to anybody. Even like the prayer that Boaz offers when Ruth comes to him and makes the marriage proposal she quotes his own prayer back to him saying, I want you to answer your own prayer. <laughs> like oh. she uses the same words that he uses. So it's That's like funny. she's appealing to him to answer his prayer uh-huh. and not to God. Right. It, there's like two times where God is like specifically mentioned that the Lord mm-hmm. brought like um, food to this, to Bethlehem in the beginning. Uh, I think right. Chapter. Yeah. We're, yeah. We, we, the we, Lord has visited his people yes. and given them food. And then at the very end, which is on which is on the lips of somebody, right? It's not it's a narrative Naomi. detail. Yeah, yeah, Naomi. I don't think mm-hmm. the narrator actually ever um, 
describes mm. God doing anything. So the, the point is, you don't have a ton of divine action. Mm-hmm. So you have to look for it right. elsewhere. Yes. And so we <laughs> yeah. see it, uh, you know, like classic, we know two big things. And you even named one that the, that the, um, the text actually gives us. That one, God is sovereign over the womb, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, and two, that he's sovereign over rain and famine. Yes. Uh, and then there's just all these happenstance circumstances, right? Where Ruth it's like goes to a field that just so happens. It just to be happened Boaz. to be Boaz's field. Yeah. Ro- uh, Boaz just happened to be her kinsman redeemer. Boaz just happened to be kind and willing to show, uh, you know, law love to this woman. You know that yeah. he didn't have to. Uh, he just so happened to. There just so happened to be a closer heir. And that closer heir could not take on the economic burden of redeeming Ruth. Yeah. Uh, uh, Boaz just so happened to be sympathetic to Ruth's crazy request whenever she proposed to him, as you said. You know, just right. she just so happened to become pregnant, and yeah. that just and that just so happened after ten having, years of being yeah. barren, right. and that just so happened to be a male. Right? right, that just, so, just happened so happened to be the son of David, the, the son of David. <laughs> or the, 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 gra- the grand, David, the yeah. grandfather of David. Yeah, and so it's just it's crazy how many so, things had to just oh, I guess that was a coincidence to happen. And especially you know. considering the time of the judges, yeah, you have nothing but when God does show up, it's like in judgment. Mm-hmm. It's in a judge to judge wickedness. Yeah, and so you have the story of Ruth where God is active not to judge but to bless to redeem to save to give life even in the middle of a nation going crazy mm-hmm. which i think is really important to name and really beautiful like god is working in ways that we don't always see to accomplish our good and his purposes so that we would see him as loving and faithful to us and i I, it's so important. It's, like it's so, so important. it's so important, and I think I think it's really good to name like one, like you said, during a time of social political unrest where everything's just going crazy. There's war, corrupt leadership, um, crime, all this stuff is happening, swirling around. God is is not gone or abandoned. Yeah. Um, he is working, and he's even like guarding people and having like. Like he, there's a Boaz in the middle of Israel yeah, during right. this time. Like, how could a guy like Boaz exist? He even says, like, whenever Ruth comes to glean from his fields, don't go glean from any other fields. Glean from here because you know it's safe here. Other way, right. other places you might get hurt. You know, yeah. Like, like I was some, really t- taken back. Like I'll say, oh, like she, her life is in danger if she's yeah, a woman. It was a dangerous alone thing, field. especially during that time. That's right. Yeah. But then the other really important thing to see uh, on a more personal level, because I think we all have, have experienced, you know, in this age, like times of political unrest and social unrest. So it's good to know God's working behind the scenes. Um, but also on a personal level, like whenever you are economically struggling, famine, mm-hmm. right? Like whenever you mm-hmm. just can't put food on the table or you lost your job, you know, or like, your someone close to you dies you know like everyone dies at the beginning of the story mm-hmm. whenever you can't get pregnant or you're having struggles with fertility like yeah all of these things are things that just make us feel like god is not there or that he doesn't care or that he's incapable of doing something yeah and the story of ruth shows us that God is intimately involved and is bringing something far greater out of that than we could have ever hoped for or imagined. Yeah. I mean, who would have who would have guessed that King David was going to come out of this story of of treason and and like uh, abandonment of the promised land and Moabites and it's like wait, David's at the end of the story. Yeah. <laughs> like it's crazy. Like at the beginning, Elimelech dies. Yeah. God is king. God is king is dead. Is dead, <laughs> which is. <laughs> It's like, I think about all just the different, like people in my life, political factors in my life, uh, causes that I think about and support and want to succeed. And I see them fail. Mm. And in that moment, I'm tempted to believe God is king is dead. Like Mm. what I thought God was doing is not happening. Mm. And now what, how, what, what next? How could he possibly move now? Um, which, and I think Ruth does a really good job of heightening that up because the story centers around three women, all of whom are widowed, two of whom are foreigners. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. And so normally, like back in the patriarchal narratives, or even in just the rest of the Old Testament up to this point, there's normally a relative that's known about somewhere. There's normally another father figure or a brother or somebody who can step in and provide redemption. Mm. Uniquely in the book of Ruth, God as king is dead. There are no heirs apparent. We have widows and foreigners leaving their homes. We're there's literally nothing in the opening chapters of Ruth that gives us a hint that God could save, right. that God could move. All the things we're used to expecting from the book of Genesis, like an unexpected heir or the ingenuity of a woman or whatever it is, aren't there. Yeah, they're just not there yet. They're not there yet. Yeah. So it's just like this really profound moment of hopelessness. And the book, the question the book of Ruth wants you to wrestle with is, will you trust God? when it looks like he's not working. Yeah. And like, that's what we see Ruth do. We see her like give herself over to Yahweh and the people of Israel and the land of Israel in the midst of extreme hopelessness, poverty, loss, mourning. It's, it's amazing. It's like, and I think it's just cool too, to just see um, how faith is an appropriate response to hopelessness. Mm, Cause yeah. they're just, they're usually butted against each other. You know, and like you can have faith in hopeless. You can have hopeless faith. Does that make sense? It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. It's like I don't know what I can hope in, but I'm gonna just. Well, have maybe faith. this is an opportunity to talk about how Jesus in the book of Mark tells everybody he comes in contact with, "Don't tell anybody that mm. I've come. Don't tell anybody that I'm here." Like the hiddenness of Jesus is a huge theme throughout at least Mark's version of the story. Yeah, it's like, are there? ways that we can see like the hiddenness of God in the book of Ruth as parallels to the hiddenness of the, the planned hiddenness of Jesus in the gospels. Mm, that's interesting. Cause you uh, have these, yeah. These I mean, desperate so, yeah, people, right? Like, right. Yeah. 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 I think I see something. So like, you know, the, the reason why Jesus, um, you know, was, was, was saying not yet, don't tell anybody yet. Let, keep it hidden was because they just, they didn't have good news to share yet. Like he, they didn't have the right message to share yet because they were going to go around and be like, there's this healer, you know, or like the, the, the Messiah has come and he's a miracle worker. And it's like, that's not who it is. And so don't go and tell you everybody yet. The other side of it is like, he needed to control the chaos until his hour had come, you know, before he went to the cross. Until he was ready to die. Yeah. Until he was ready to die. And so, um, it's interesting then that you have this hiddenness of God, you had Jesus kind of working almost behind the scenes in all these different areas of Galilee and Jerusalem during his ministry, only to culminate in a surprise twist ending of him dying on a cross, but then something greater than anyone could have possibly imagined, him rising from the dead and ascending as king above all kings to the right hand of the Father. Like So you have this hiddenness, twist ending, and surprise triumph and that's yeah. kind of the same literary structure that Ruth takes on, right? There's all this hiddenness, what's going to happen? There's I feel death, like something's famine, happening. Childlessness. Yep. yep. And then barrenness. surprise ending twist. There's Boaz. And then, oh, but it's even better than just getting married and having your house saved. It's the King like King David's line. So mm-hmm. there might be something there. there I don't know. There might be something there. Uh, anyway, I, just, I was thinking about that as you were talking. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I've never thought of it like that. But yeah, it's interesting. Um so, yeah, I mean, the hiddenness of God, you know, him working, his sovereignty. Uh, I mean, we've kind of talked about it from like a, a very um, a detail-oriented level, but from a very big level, it's, it's, you know, God was working through the events of Israel, even through all her political unrest, to bring about a monarchy. You know, God is right. moving the big chess pieces around, too. You know, yeah, I just yeah. think it's, it's cool to There was to see no that. king in Israel. Like, yep. the book of Ruth assumes you know that history. Yep. It assumes you know who King David is. It assumes a lot of information about its readers. Mm-hmm. And you're wondering, well, how does God go from judges to David? Like, how yeah. does that happen? This is, and, and this is the story. And this is the story. Yeah. Through the faithfulness of Ruth, cool. the monarchy that will be, uh, that will father the Messiah, uh, happens through the story of Ruth. Well, then let's talk about that. Let's talk about this monarchy that fathers the Messiah. Let's talk about this line okay. that goes from... 
Ruth to Jesus, but then we got to back up even more to really get the full story of what's happening because the opening of Ruth cues us in. If you are a Old Testament Bible reader, you know, if you were reading this story at this time, when you open this book, it should feel very familiar to you, some of the themes and images that are here. So you have um, a people leaving um, Israel because of a famine, uh, you, yeah. which is like something that's happened before. So that's you happened ha- in, uh, that was Abraham, right? Abraham, yep. There's a famine in the land. There's a famine, yep. It, so it happened. To the yep. pe- okay. Yeah, it happened to the, the Israelites mm-hmm. went, uh, or, you know, uh, uh Jacob and Jacob. his 12 sons yes. went from, he sent his sons from is the promised land to Egypt during a famine to get mm-hmm. food. Yep. Um, and so this has happened again happened and again before. and again. Yep. Uh, you have barrenness, yeah. um, like you know, which the, is the, 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 uh, the messianic line is threatened by the childlessness. Uh, always. Of the women. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sarah, Abraham's wife was barren. Uh, Rachel mm-hmm. yep. was barren. Yeah. Right. Yes. She was. Uh, uh, Leah wasn't. Rachel Le- was. Leah, yeah, Leah wasn't. Rachel was. That's what it yeah. was. Uh, anyway, and so you have Sarah this... has a child when she's a hundred years old. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like all these things happening that should cue you in to the fact that oh, this is like I'm reading Genesis again. Yes. I'm reading and, Genesis again. And that might be the biggest takeaway as a reader that you can mm-hmm. think about is that this is a new type of um, patriarchal narrative patriarchal narrative and when i say patriarchal i don't mean uh like all the negative connotations i mean yeah male oriented yeah i mean the founding fathers like this is the founding mother of israel like you had the founding fathers who left because of a famine whose family was endangered because of childlessness who moves to a new land voluntarily like Mm -hmm. abraham uh you have the protection you have um like a, a wedding in a strange place like uh, Rebecca was was had that wedding proposal at the well. You have yeah. Ruth in the middle of a, a threshing floor. Yeah, that's you funny. have a woman uh, using her sexual initiative to overcome male in action. So you oh, have like like uh, Sarah Tam- with the kings. Oh, or Ta- yeah, Tamar, Tamar and Judah. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, I'm sure trying. There's some other. There's other. There's so many parallels. There's so bet- many parallels with Genesis between. And, yeah. And I think what we need to remember then about Genesis, why is this important, is Genesis is tracing the promised seed of Eve. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what Genesis is all about. There are 10 genealogies in Genesis, and each of them are showing us um, where the promised seed of Eve is heading. Because if you'll remember back in Genesis 3, after the fall and after the curse that God puts on humanity and on the man and the woman, he also makes a promise to Eve that one of her descendants will end up rising up and will crush the head of the serpent um, and will like make everything wrong right again. And so Israel is waiting for this. And so Genesis traces that seed, you know, all the way from Adam through Seth, through Noah, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we go into chaos in Judges, yeah. and we're like, where's the promise? Like, where's this line? Like, you know, if you were pulling a, th- a thread through the Bible, trying to keep that that line of promise tight, it yeah. seems that that line is sagging in, like, Judges and Joshua. And you're like, I want to pull it tight again. And Ruth comes along and yanks the other side of that cord and yeah. makes it tight again. Mm-hmm. Right? That's exactly right. Like, and it does that by pulling on Genesis. throughout yeah. Genesis to the Messianic line continuing. Famine, mm-hmm. famine, childlessness, uh, foreigners, like yep. all like uh, male inaction, uh, right. the lack of pride, all all that's happened before. Yes, in the history of Israel, in the patriarchal narratives, in the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then you have the same thing happening again here in the Book of Ruth. Exactly right. The, yep. mess, the Messiah will come through the faithful through the faithfulness of Ruth and Boaz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, surprisingly, the central character of this new patriarchal narrative mm-hmm. is a woman. It is a woman. It's a woman. And this like, is, yes, which it's would just not be like insignificant. A, it's not <laughs> insignificant at all. And I think it's really hard for us, you know, even with all, even with gender inequality and things like that, that still, you know, exist today. I think it's still really hard for us to understand how strange and like, out of character it would be to have a nation founding literary genre 
be started and then put squarely on the shoulders of a woman back in this day and age. Yes. It's like, astounding. It's There's astounding. a lot of feminist and more liberal scholars who want to, will want to call the Bible a patriarchal construction. The Bible mm-hmm. is just a, a book about men written for men um, to advance male interests. Yeah, it's antagonistic towards women. Yes, they would and the say. book of yeah. Ruth would respond to that by saying, no, no. <laughs> absolutely not. You have a... You ha- we don't know who authored the book of Ruth. Um, it could have been a woman, but we don't know that. But what we do have in the book of Ruth is female main characters, which is mm-hmm. not normal for a lot of our books of the Bible. You have... All the plot drivers, the initiative is taken by women within mm-hmm. a story. And it's the faithfulness and in, in the ingenuity of a woman mm-hmm. that ends up securing the messianic line. Without right. Ruth going to Boaz and ask, telling him that he will marry her, we don't have a King David and we right. don't have a Jesus. Which is exactly what happened back in the story of Judah and Tamar. Judah, the man, was, you know, male in action and wasn't going to do anything to continue his promised line. And so Tamar did something insane, which we've talked about on the podcast before, you know, to trick him into sleeping with her to continue the line. It was female action that in order that that brought us King David and brought us King Jesus. Yes. Like, it's crazy. And Uh, it serves as a rebuke to a rebuke and a restoration of what Adam failed to do in in the garden. Yeah. So the the serpent tempts Eve to eat the snake, and Adam does eat nothing. The, eat the fruit. To, you know, to eat the <laughs> to snake. Eat the snake. <laughs> eat the snake. <laughs> Take of my body. <laughs> the snake. Mm. So the snake. Uh, Adam sits there saying nothing. Yeah. While uh, the woman, uh, while Eve like eats the fruit. Uh-huh. So like, yep. when you have Tamar and you have Ruth responding to male in action with initiative. You have an undoing of the fall and a mm. return back to Eden. Yeah. Like, which I, it's amazing. Well, yeah. A new, this is a new and better Eve who is obeying and acting rightly where her predecessor fell. Yes. In order to bring about the promised seed that was you know, promised to Eve. Like this, Ruth is a new Eve. She's a new and better Eve. Which and, is why, which is cool because at the end of the book, what do we get? We get harvest and plenty and children life yeah it's it's like oh is it eden a little bit of eden coming yeah and then then think about this so you normally jump to um jesus as as at the end but the proper talos the proper end of the woman's role within scripture is the church eve Mm. leads us to the bride of christ the church and today the church as the bride of christ the descendant of eve brings new life it should be in the communities that there is a church brings new life to the communities brings a a restoration of what was lost the poor are cared for the um, sick are healed and um, the messiah's rule and reign continues because of the actions of the female church because Mm -hmm. of the action and the church is always portrayed uh, or most often portrayed as a female, as a bride, as a woman, yeah. as the talos, the end of what Eve was supposed to do in the garden, a bringer yeah. of life in a world of chaos. And there's two really big things you, you said there that I want to I wanna pick up after our next break. But you said that, that you called you know, Jesus the high king, which I want to talk about is really important. And then you're, you're talking about this uh, community of people that are creating good and almost creating Eden around them because of the way that they're living. Um, and uh, I want to go back and talk about that and you know the, how the law leads to loving our neighbors and everything like that after this break. So, cool. all right, we'll, we'll go there. Okay. So you said we wanted to come back after this break and talk about how Jesus is the high king. Yeah. If Ruth leads us to the church, who's the queen of the kingdom of God, who is the king and why is kingship important to the book of yeah. Ruth? Well, I mean, so first off, the link between Ruth and Jesus is um, direct 
And it obvious. is so direct. It's so direct <laughs> it's and so obvious. Direct. So not only do we know that Jesus is the son of David all throughout the Gospels, he's even called son of David, son of David, you know. Yep. Uh, but Matthew's genealogy walks us through that, gene, you know, that, that line. Um, and what's interesting about it is we don't only hear about how Ruth is in Jesus's line, right? We also hear about two other women that are in Jesus's line. Mm-hmm. We hear about Rahab. Which who is, is Boaz's crazy. mom? Who is Boaz's mom? So, so Boaz's <laughs> mom is the prostitute Rahab who <laughs> sheltered the 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 spies when they came into Jericho. Yes. Like, wait, what? <laughs> that is crazy. That blew my mind when I read it the other day. I was like, wait, it's like so Boaz is... is so, which is crazy too when we're talking about like how Boaz was like this righteous man in the middle of all this unrighteousness, and his mom was a prostitute. That is like crazy. a former yeah. prostitute. That's, yeah. Like it's just like this is what the grace of God can do well, to people. Israel it can change crazy. a family. It's the, it's the spiritual lineage of faithful women that is yeah. like that is like anyway. Yeah, it's amazing. So that's cool. So like God used a Moabite in Ruth. He used a prostitute in Rahab, and then Tamar, mm-hmm. which we've talked about already on this, uh, is also in Jesus's genealogy. Yeah, and she was also probably a foreigner, mm-hmm. uh, or was a foreigner. Uh, we it's never named, but because Judah married off his other sons to Canaanite women, uh-huh. it's assumed that potentially Tamar was also okay. Uh, yeah, we don't know. But yeah, maybe. and but and she pretended to be a prostitute in order to yes. continue the line. So it's like all this strange ingenuity by these females who have put these their faith females. in God. These these women, <laughs> these, these women females. who have put their faith in God is just astounding. And so anyway, um, this all leads us to Jesus. Um, and the reason why Matthew starts his gospel with a genealogy, the reason why Luke includes a long genealogy in his gospel is because he's pulling on all of this, all these promises and all of this uh, sovereignty of God throughout what, the story what you of said, the Bible. Like the, who will be the promised mm-hmm. snake crusher? Like where right. is that line? ending to and the reason Matthew and Luke have those genealogies is to show you the straight line from mm-hmm. either Adam or from Abraham, Abraham. that uh, the messianic line ends here the snake crusher ends in Jesus that's yeah. right yeah and so I think the I think when we think about Jesus as the fulfillment of this this lineage there's a lot of things that you I, I want to talk about but when we think about Ruth in particular I think we need to think about Jesus as the king who brings order to chaos. Yeah. Like this is the time of the judges the when everyone was doing from. Yeah, when everyone was doing right in right in their own eyes, when everything was messed up, when, you know, like crime and chaos ruled the land, and Jesus comes and brings peace and love and order and law and redemption to the land. And um that's what he does, Jesus does as king both for us personally. Right? right, and he does that personally f- for us by being our kinsman redeemer. Yep, you know. Can he, you define he, that for for us? So, so no one can. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, ambiguity around this practice. Both uh, whenever a kinsman redeemer is talked about in the Old Testament law, and when it's practiced here, there's a lot of scholars who don't even think those are the same things. That yeah. what's described in the law and what actually occurs here are two different practices. Regardless of that. Basically, what is happening here is um, there, and you can read about this in the law, that um, whenever someone who has a landowning Israelite dies, mm-hmm. uh, in order for their land to stay in their family and in order for the, their name to continue on, um, which are two very important things to God in the yes. Old Testament, that mm-hmm. the land would not be uh, divided up differently than the way he divided it so that there would be justice and equity among his people, and then also that the names of his people would continue because he knows them by name, has made promises to them by name, and has promised to keep them. So like name and land is really important to God. Yeah. When when a land-owning Israelite dies, um, what there's something that's supposed to happen in order to keep that land in the family and keep that name alive. So one of their kin, so it could be a younger brother. Normally uh, it's not younger brother. Normally it's the next in line. It's the younger brother is normally how this has happened. The younger brother would marry the widow and procreate with her um, if she hasn't had any male descendants yet. 
And so that's that's what is originally supposed to happen with a kinsman redeemer. Well, okay, then maybe we, may, because that's the the Levite marriage laws, not the redeemer laws, right? Right. And they're, yeah, so the, the, they're, they're being blended together. That's but, why people don't think that okay. that's what this is talking about. So that's Got the it. that's the law code that we have, right? So then we, but what happens is, and what we've even said on this podcast before, yeah. is that the law is not completely exhaustive. Right. 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 So there are other ways to and, live out the essence and the heart of the Levite Redeemer. And technically then, too, that means that Naomi is not normally, would not normally be a candidate to come under the Kinsman Redeemer laws because one, she's a female landowner and there's never... In the law, there isn't a specific place where it says a widow can own the husband's land. It doesn't say that she can't, but it doesn't say that she can either. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's the daughter-in-law, not a blood uh, a blood relative of Naomi, that yep. is being redeemed by Boaz also means she's like almost two steps removed from yep. the normal laws of the kinsman, redeemer, redemption thing happening. So right, and point, it also, yeah, and, it, well, and the, to, to double down on what you're yeah. saying, uh, and it also seems like there is money involved that there's probably a lien or something a debt on the land Naomi has um that whenever she dies or whenever a certain term expires that land would go out of her keeping so when Boaz redeems Ruth and marries Ruth he also redeems which means buys he yeah. buys Naomi's land yeah and so it comes at great expense to him. He actually purchases Naomi's land, but leaves it in her name. Yeah. He pays for the deed. Yes. And the fact that there is another person who's close, more closely related to mm-hmm. uh, Naomi than Boaz, right. and he refuses, should tell us that in order to become this redeemer, it required great personal cost. Yes. Like there's a yep. great like financial emotional like you have to like you have to marry somebody share your inheritance with that person's son, that person's children like it comes at great personal cost to be this redeemer that's right so to tie the yeah. bow all the way back to king jesus uh-huh. in order for yes. jesus to be king who also redeems his people the book of ruth should be pushing us along this narrative of in order for the king who loves the law and to redeem his people actually reign and and institute that kingdom, it will come at great sacrifice to himself. It will mean Mm -hmm. sharing his inheritance with people that don't deserve it. It will Mm -hmm. mean taking his, the riches of God's grace, and giving it to foreigners, widows, the poor, and the destitute. It should mean and should recognize to us, in order for that to happen, that means he suffers some loss. In Boaz, he lost financial gain potentially oh yeah big time yeah when the other when the other potential kinsman redeemer was first approached with this economic opportunity to take over uh you know and redeem naomi's land he's like yeah sure i could do that and then he learns that it also comes with ruth he's like oh well then that would ruin me financially yeah is what he says right and it's like oh this must have been an expensive transaction yes and so yes great personal costs so for jesus it must have come at great personal costs i just wanted to double down yes. on that it, and so and i think so jesus is the new and better boaz yes and he is the rightful he is the son of boaz <laughs> like you yeah. know like boaz has a son who becomes king david and like jesus continues in that faithful family lineage yeah. of like you have you have a history of families going all the way back to Rahab in Boaz's case of people at great cost to themselves, great risk to themselves, trying to save the people of God. That's what Rahab did. That's what Boaz does. And that's what David did. That's what Jesus does exemplary in the fact that he dies for his people. And then Ephesians tells us the riches of his, like we are heirs to his inheritance. Mm. Like it's like, like he should not have to divide his inheritance in half. He, he has no right, right. He has no need no. to like split right. his inheritance with other people. Yet he chooses to because he is a good king mm. and a good son of Boaz. It's so good. I just think too, like about um, Ruth's financial position and um, and how she got this blessing. Right. So she was so poor that she had to go and just roam about people's fields and look for. Uh, pieces of wheat 
that um, you know as the as the as the workers of the field went through and they you know picked it and tried to and were putting it in in barrels, mm-hmm. it fell out. Yeah, you know, like uh, and that and she would just pick up spare pieces of grain from the ground. Right, and this was a practice called gleaning. And this was something that the poorest of the poor did. Yes. Right? Well, it's exactly yeah. right. And Jesus it, it, does it in the Gospels. He goes by Jesus a field in the Gospels. and he picks yes. up he- heads of grain, mm-hmm. and the Pharisees get mad at him for it. Yep. <laughs> but, because, he did it on, because he did it on the Sabbath. Right. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, so, like, that's, that's her economic standpoint. She is the poorest of the poor, a widow who has to go and, and beg for food, basically. And Boaz notices her brings her in and instead of her begging for food he actually says hey just come eat with us you know and like eat your fill it's such that she ate as much as she could and there was still some left over mm-hmm. and then he sends her home with like more than uh like a month's worth of wheat you know an yeah. ephah of wheat or whatever it is and like lets her even use his threshing floor to prepare it so that whenever she takes it home it's actually usable like it's just like insane kindness to this woman and then what does ruth have to do to get the blessing of salvation and redemption that boaz could offer her she lays at his feet Mm, like i just love like that's the gospel like how do we move from debt and poverty and loss and hopelessness and barrenness to the all the blessings and redemption god has for us we come and lay at his feet and say Put your wings around me, God. Yeah. Like, come and wrap me up. I need you to buy me back. <laughs> like, that's and that's that's what's required of us. That's good. To, it's just that wasn't a work. Yeah. It was. It was like it was a weakness. Yeah. It was just coming and putting yourself at the feet of the Master and saying, like, put your arm, put your wings around me. Let's like, do. I, that's the gospel. That is the gospel. So let's do the other side of that too. So if Boaz shows us positively what mm-hmm. Jesus is like. If Ruth shows us um, not passively but faithfully mm-hmm. what uh, it looks like to receive salvation from God, yes. how is Ruth herself a type of Christ in the way that she initiates mm. salvation for her and for her own people? So, like yeah. one, you have she chooses to leave her homeland mm. to come to be and make a people that is not her people her people. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus leaves home to represent a people that is not his people. Whenever um, Ruth goes to the field, she works exceedingly hard and is almost like brash in the way that she does it. She goes up to the workers in the fields and doesn't just ask to do the work that's normally required of gleaning, which is picking up off the ground. She asks to pick among the sheaves. So this is above and beyond what the law would have required. And the, 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 the workers in the field say yes. And so she... Essentially, all I'm trying to say is she works hard. She's yeah. bold. She yeah. then goes at one point uh, later. She is not only the, re- the recipient of like all this hesed kindness, love by Boaz, but when she goes to Boaz and proposes marriage to her, Boaz says this is a great kindness that she did mm. by initiating this marriage proposal. Um, and so I want—I just want to and stop. probably a kindness to Naomi. Because yes. the, the, Ruth is Naomi's savior. Yeah. So, so we need to understand here that the, the story begins and ends with Naomi, her, her mother-in-law, right? And she is the one who says, no longer call me Naomi, you know, happy or joyful. Right. Or, I can't call remember exactly bitter. what. Yeah, call me Mara, yeah. bitter. Uh, and then at the end, she's worshiping and she's happy. And, she, mm-hmm. and it's that I have a son is what she says, right? right. So Ruth is a surrogate for Naomi. She's the one Ru- who provides Naomi who stands and represents oh my gosh. Israel oh as my the gosh. founding founding mother of Israel. Yes, but also think about this. We said, "Oh, it's kind of strange that Boaz isn't really, you know, a brother or something right. to be the redeemer." Well, it's because Ruth is the kinsman redeemer. Like Ruth is the one is the there's the Levite marriage one. Like uh, Ruth is the one who is the 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 closest relative to the bereft who needs her land saved, Naomi. And so she goes out and ingenuitively and self-sacrificially, which Boaz names as a kindness, ends up procuring for herself a husband in order to provide a son to be an heir to Naomi's land so that her name and land can go on. Mm. And so Ruth redeems Naomi. Fascinating. Yeah. It's through the actions of Ruth, who is a type of Christ, who leaves her home, who works hard, 
who sacrifices her own self-interest, who secures for herself um, a marriage, which mm-hmm. I'm trying to find out, like, how does Jesus secure for us marriage? But, like, we're told, Ephesians 5, like, Jesus, <laughs> yeah. like, the church is his bride. You're he right. secures marriage so that the lost Naomi, the childless Naomi, the hungry Naomi yeah. would be filled, would be filled up. That's right. We, we, and we are Naomi. You know, I think we, we're also like, we're Ruth, but we're also, you know, we are also Naomi. Yeah. We are hopeless. Mm-hmm. We have no future. We have no inheritance. God the King and we is have, dead. God the King is dead. And we have no way to provide for ourselves. We have no way to get ourselves out of the hole that we've dug for ourselves with all of our sin and the debts that just said she had probably had a lien and a debt against her land. We have a lien and a debt against our lives. You know, and 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 Ruth goes and fulfills all the law requires in order to purchase Naomi's debt back, mm, that's, and that's what Jesus does. Exactly right. He, yeah. he is the Ruth who goes and does all that the law requires, and Boaz to go do all the law requires to purchase our debt back, to be our redeemer. That's what the word redeem means. It means yes. to buy back. Yeah. And so, like Jesus buys us back by paying our debt of death on the cross. Mm. That's just a beautiful thing. It really is. It really is. And I, I, I yeah, I want to keep, I'm, I'm excited to spend another four weeks or however long we end up spending in, in, in yeah. I, so, um, I think one of the last things I want to, I want to name here, um, is, is King Jesus is not just King over Israel, right? He is not just King of one people. Yeah. This is really important because a lot of people believe that the purpose of Ruth, the reason why it was written, was to show that David's Moabite ancestry does not disqualify him for the throne because it was God's work behind the scenes that got him there, and it all happened according to the law. And so Ruth is there to show that that people outside of the family of God, outside the promised people of God, can be brought in to the promised people of God. Right, and we see that not only with, like we've said, with Ruth, who was a Moabite, but with you know, with Jericho, Rahab, and yeah. Canaanite Tamar. Like God has always been bringing Gentiles and enemies and, into His camp. Yeah, and His kingdom is secured by people like those. His kingdom. His kingdom is secure. It's like, people, like, like, people, those, like yeah, and and think about like even what Jesus says, like I came to the Jew first. Uh, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. Right? Paul says mm-hmm. that. Yep. But yeah, Paul says that. What also yeah. happens at the end of Jesus's ministry? The Jews reject Jesus, and mm-hmm. it's actually Gentile believers who begin the wow. um, the 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 early church is made up primarily of Gentile believers. They're the ones that I mean. We have obviously Paul. You have the, the, the twelve apostles. You have the well, yeah, but I, church, but, but but I think about Paul reflecting on this, right? Paul tells us this is happening in Romans. Right, this is what I'm Paul says about. that. Yeah, so many Jews have disbelieved. Therefore, is this even true? Like, is is this even the the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament? If all the Jews don't believe, and he says yes, because not all Israel is true Israel. Instead, the Gentiles have now been grafted into this tree, yeah. and they have now received the promises of God. Yes. Yeah, they are. It's really interesting that uh, just as a Moabite woman was brought in to continue the promises of God, so Gentiles outside the people of God are being brought in to continue the promises of God in the world. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, and yeah, and that does I love that validate the Jewish place within the salvation history. No, but like yeah. Paul says, it's supposed to bring humility, yeah. um, and rejoicing. Humility yes. in the fact that like God can raise up anybody who wants mm-hmm. and rejoicing that the salvation that is possible that God purchases that's for his people is for all people in all places at all times. Yeah, that's right. And I think yeah. even and so, yeah. a, a, a way to say another way to say like Ruth isn't, I think she's in some senses, she ceases to become a Moabite and she becomes an Israelite here. Definitely. Like the reason why it le- this story legitimates King David is because it proves that Ruth was a true Israelite. She followed mm-hmm. the Torah. She committed herself to the law. She acted worthily like the Proverbs 31 woman. She yes. secures for herself redemption for the people of God. Like she is a true Israelite. 
Yes. Uh, just like, yeah, and it just, and I, I want to also like double down, like Jesus was a foreigner. Yes, he was a son of Israel, a son of David, but he was also God. Like there is nothing yeah. more foreign to humanity <laughs> than God. So the yeah. fact that Ruth is a foreigner images God in his divinity while he's living on the earth as a sojourner and a stranger. Yeah. I mean, and what's also interesting uh, is if King Lemuel, this sounds like a left hook, I think, but Proverbs 31 was written by King Lemuel, who um, I don't think was an Israelite. Oh, Oh, that's right. He wasn't. And so the Proverbs 31 (laughs) woman was written by a foreigner. That's I just think that's amazing. That. Uh, so anyway, I, I think I, I mean we would we we would really be um, we'd be missing a huge opportunity if we missed um, just a, a note here to say that Ruth should also provide encouragement for um, and correction to those on both sides of racial inequality. That like those who have been outcasted and hurt uh, by racial inequality. Um, should see like honor in the person of Ruth mm-hmm. who like God loves yeah. and works through and, and, and exalts. God loves to exalt those who have been oppressed and marginalized. And he does that in Ruth and it should correct those who, who are holding on to some kind of ethnocentricity to say like God is using and will use everyone and around the throne of heaven will be every tribe and every nation, every skin color, every language and like Ruth is a beautiful picture of how if we don't acknowledge that God will use other races to our shame, mm. like we will be displaced in a yeah. sense. Like, like I just think it comes as correction yeah. to any kind of racial superiority or anything like that, that people want yeah. to propagate. And I mean, and even think about just it. like what's happening in Christianity today for a mm-hmm. long time, at least we're Americans, like for a long time, America has been the center for Christian activity. Like we've been sending out the most missionaries, like the higher population of Christians are here, have been in the States for a long time. But now more Christians are in Africa, Asia, Mm -hmm. and South America than there are anywhere else in the entire world. More and more, we get missionaries from Nigeria flying to America to preach the gospel to our pagan nation. Like like our um, American centeredness of Christianity is ending and it's yep. being given to those that we have, at least America, has tradi- traditionally marginalized. Exactly. They are the Ruths coming to save us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's good. I just wanted to make sure we yeah. named that. Um, well, man, this is this is cool. I, I love this book. I've really come to love this book. And I just think it's amazing the care that God takes to put into not only operating in the world to bring about his purposes, yeah. but that like we get little glimpses of those stories. Yeah. I just... Isn't it going to be amazing when they're in, like, I just could picture this heaven library where there's every story of God's sovereignty written beautifully like this that I can go pick up and be like, whoa, God did what during that? Like, that's crazy. It's kind of like you were saying how, like, we get these patrilineal genealogies throughout the Bible, which which that just means like, yeah, the line of the fathers, the line of the fathers. And, um, Ruth reminds us that there are these women alongside all of these fathers and they show us that like there are these stories of faithfulness and God's sovereignty and ingenuity that we just don't even know about and I just wish yeah. I could know them in the like, uh, genealogy at the end of Ruth and Ruth 18:21 the phrase is Boaz fathered Obed <laughs> that's in the patrilineal genealogy that's the, <laughs> that's the entire story of Ruth in three words yeah and like I love the fact that you're right like there's just all this history and texture and color because of the book of Ruth. And there are, there are warehouses of stories like that yeah, in heaven. It's so cool. And I just, I, I think ultimately that it comes down to, you know, what, what um, Peter said about Jesus in the book of Acts in chapter two, when he said that uh, Jesus was given up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, mm-hmm. that the death of Jesus on the cross and everything that meant and everything that bought and everything that, um, that fulfilled you know, it was because God was just working in all the color and texture and detail of history in order to pull off the grandest love story ever told, which was him dying for us on the cross. Yeah. And mm-hmm. all we have to do 
to receive that redemption is fall down at his feet in need as poor people begging for redemption. Yeah. And he says, Oh, what a great kindness this is that you're here. Like, it's <laughs> amazing. Like, that's so cool. One of my favorite oh. quotes from this from, in my study was from a woman named Amy, Amy Bird. And she said, Ruth is not a canon within the canon for women. Bible studies. Mm. Like Ruth is not a canon within the canon for women's Bible studies. It is the story of a God who saves both men and women, Jew and Gentile, for the fame of his own glory. And I was like, that's that's good. (laughs) That's good. good. That was really good. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, This has been our introduction to the book of Ruth. We hope it's been helpful. Uh, We're thankful for you, and uh, we will see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.